0: Greetings. My name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 67 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 67, we are going to respond to some listener comments and questions, some really interesting uh, comments and questions from two different listeners. And then, if time permits, and it probably will, we are going to move on to talk about some rulebook things that Scott and I don't particularly support, I guess, might be the right way of saying it, or things uh, umbrages that we have with certain specific parts of certain specific rules uh, within the rulebook. So uh, we're just p- pulling this information directly from the black and letter most current uh, CMA uh, rulebook. I think it's what is it? Is it 2018? Is that the version that we're currently on still, right? Yes. Yeah. So we're pulling it straight from the black and white 2018. Uh, And so if you want, you can pull up your rule books and follow along with us. So with that being said, I'm going to go into the first response that we got back. This comes from one of our listeners named Aiden. Uh, and he writes, and this is a great email. So I'm just going to actually write the, or not write, I'm, he wrote it. He wrote it so well, I'm just going to read the parts of this email to you because I, I think he wrote it very well. So I enjoyed your talk about challenging ethics. This is from our previous podcast episode. My position on this topic is presented below. Number one, challenging is a vital part of the competition that should be used strategically, honestly, and without malice. And of course uh we all agree uh number two when a quizzer should be called incorrect and was instead called correct the burden of challenging falls on the captains of the others of other two teams do not challenge against a teammate and i i tend to agree with that i think there are certain cases where for the good of the order maybe um uh, maybe you can challenge on behalf of that other team. But generally speaking, I I, I agree with what Aiden is um, saying there. Scott, what are your thoughts? Same. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, even if I think the ruling is
1: terrible and incorrect, if it benefited my teammate, I'm not going to challenge to have it overturned, mostly because they're my teammate and less of how it would affect like our team score or anything of that nature.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And then uh, number three, if the challenge against another team will not affect the outcome of the quiz for your team and negatively impacts the other teams, there's no point. So Scott, what do you think of that one?
1: I don't fully agree with this one because now um, Eden was vague enough when he says will not affect the outcome of the quiz and negatively impacts other teams. So he didn't necessarily mean necessarily score, but um I think that something cannot affect the outcome of the quiz for your team, but still might um, affect one of your individuals. Um, I think of like questions are just part of a larger quiz and quizzes are just part of a larger meet and meets are just part of a larger year. And so I don't assume, I don't think that almost anything happens in a vacuum. So you could say like, oh, if we're up by a hundred points and another team gets the question right on question 20, well, and I think that the ruling should have been different it doesn't benefit my team at all to have it overturned. Why would I? Well, I wouldn't be like going out of my way to find a way to challenge against another team in a situation like that. But if I think the ruling's wrong, I'll challenge against it because um, either the question has to be redone or it's an incorrect question for them. And either scenario will um, present an opportunity for my teammates to get a question. And that can have positive consequences, not just for this quiz, but for future ones, especially for quizzers that either are on a cold streak or are not accustomed to routinely getting questions. Getting a single question can can make a big difference in their confidence going forward. And so I think sometimes people discount like, oh, if you haven't won as a team, like you shouldn't do anything. And it's I, I disagree with that. Um, and Something that goes along with this is some districts believe that if three teams are in a quiz and it's down to question 20 and only two of them have a chance to or – let's say question 20 only impacts two of the teams um, and not the third one. that The third one shouldn't even jump. And to me, that is highly assumptive as well for the exact same reasons I just stated. You know, getting a question correct can be positive for the future even if it has no impact on the current quiz and even if you don't care about individuals um, – Yeah.
0: Right. Certainly. All right. Well, and then number four, if and only, uh, if the challenge overruled or upheld cannot negatively affect the outcome for your team, you should challenge for quizzers from the other teams to be called correct. So how do you feel about that one? Um, I mostly agree, but also not quite as strong. So, um,
1: I think uh, some people may think that challenging for another team, to be counted correct when originally they were ruled incorrect cannot positively help your own team. But I think especially if it's earlier in a quiz, it absolutely can. Um, Just more correct questions and a more positive um, feel to the room can often be more positive for everybody involved. So if I think there was like a super bad ruling um, and it's question two, even if it's another team that has aired, I might challenge um, to have it changed because I think it will positively help my team in the long run and not out of some magnanimous want to like, you know, have the right thing happen because in a, I'm competitive and in that competitive sense, I would, I would place the burden to defend yourself on that team, right? And their captain. But I think that challenging to have another team's outcome change from cor- incorrect to correct can sometimes help your own team. Um, And I think this can even be a bigger help in districts. So let's say um, you're facing a team with an awesome quizzer on it and they err on question two. Well, odds are that they're going to quiz out over the course of the quiz. And if by challenging to have it change from incorrect to correct, it means that they just take four questions up to quiz out instead of five or six. Well, that absolutely benefits your team. So I think there are definitely scenarios where it can benefit your team.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Another scenario would be, uh, or I would throw out there as a possibility, would be if the quiz master made an incorrect ruling that was, uh, I don't want to say egregious, but I mean certainly egregious. But if a, a quiz master made a ruling that was, say, subjective, well, not even subjective. I'm, I'm, I'm really talking about somewhere in between those two extremes, where the quiz master clearly made an incorrect ruling and was maybe being sloppy uh, about it. Not necessarily egregious, but sloppy. I think there is, even in that case, a reason that you would want to challenge for the benefit of your own team. Because, I mean, you can change the mental focus of a quiz master by your challenge, right? So if a quiz master has been kind of sliding through quizzes and not taking things very seriously and gets to your quiz and is sort of... You know, maybe only 80% mentally invested in focusing on your quiz. Your, especially if you're talking about, you know, question two or three or something like that, your challenge can help. Kind of snap the quiz or quizmaster back up to 100 percent, right? Uh, that can be very helpful for everybody and including your team. And it really, I think, is useful for holding the officials, in particular the quizmaster, accountable to the highest forms of uh, accuracy and quiz mastery. Absolutely. Alright, so then number five, be honest and honorable in rebuttals, but seek any form of defense you can find. You are essentially acting as an attorney for yourself or your teammate, and your job is to protect your team. So I, I, I just super agree with this. I mean, especially the first part, be honest and honorable in, in rebuttals. I, I just, um, I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, Certainly you want to try to, I think the attorney metaphor is perfect. You know, you're trying to advocate a particular position as best you can, but certainly at the same time, be as uh, honest and honorable as you can in whatever challenge scenario you you find yourself in. So, but Scott, what do you think?
1: Yeah. And I think there's a limit, right? To um, the lengths that you should go. Because I think even though um, all attorneys to some degree are, advocating for their client, um, I'm sure that you can find a spectrum of um, to what links that they actually go to. Um, So I think there's, there's still, there's still a limit for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to have a lawyer do anything unethical, uh, in the defense of of his or her client, and certainly at this in the same uh, way, you, you know, be honest and honorable in your rebuttals. As a captain, uh, certainly you want to do uh, you you don't want to do anything unethical. Uh, Within your challenge, and you wouldn't want to do anything dishonest or dishonorable in your rebuttals or in your challenges. But uh, certainly, uh, as long as you're within those uh, confines, uh, then you're trying to find the best uh, argument that defends your particular side of the argument.
1: Yeah, and and there were times where um, I would push harder depending on who my opponent was, because I liked to view challenges um, as me versus another captain and not versus the quiz master. Cause the quizmaster should just be trying to adjudicate like objective truth and find that. But like, if I was quizzing against Jeremy or Scott or Michelle or David, like I would absolutely push harder on the challenge because I knew that they were going to push similarly hard right back at me. But I wouldn't do that if I knew like, Oh, it's a, a less experienced captain, you know, because to me, that's less of the point. Like, I don't want to, in essence, bully a less experienced captain. But if but if it's more of a battle of wills against someone who's going to come right back at me, like, that, that was part of the fun for me. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that's it for Aiden. Uh, Scott, you want to take us into Luke?
1: Yeah. So Luke had some great questions about context. So, um, and his questions were specifically around what defines out of context. So the rulebook defines context as five verses. So the rulebook defines context. As five verses before and after the verse for any non-reference question, including CRs, for CVRs and quotes, the context is limited to the verse in question. Um, And then he said, in my opinion, the definition of context is clear. However, the term out of context is fairly unclear. There is no specific statement that defines it. Um, I have notes here, but I think I'm going to pass on those for right now. Um, Luke continues... General practice, at least in his experience, is that a quizzer is called out of context when they quote a complete thought or phrase um, outside the defined in-context verses, which I think is is true. Um, when a quizzer quotes a different verse from previous material, however, I have seen dicey results. Sometimes the table calls them incorrect, and other times they redo the question instead. That's interesting that they re- would redo the question. I can't imagine That's- the correct gra- the grounds that's, for that.
0: Yeah. Like that's hard for me to understand why, I mean, either you're out of context or you're, you're in context, you can't be kind of out of context enough to redo the question. Yeah. That's weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only way that I could think that they would redo it is if they're thrown off so much that they botch something about the ruling or the prompts or the timing or something. Right. Yeah. Um, but, Luke continues, I was just thinking about this and I realized what is the difference between a quizzer saying, quote, I don't know, end quote, or, quote, I'll take a guess, end quote, um, and them quoting a verse from a different material. Remarks like, I don't know, or like there's a million things a quizzer could say are complete thoughts. And yet I haven't seen a table rule incorrect when quizzers make such statements. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think the table should treat verses from other seasons the same as some reactions, comments, a quizzer may often makes when they're at the mic? Do you think a clearer definition of out of context is helpful? I am all in favor of a more succinct definition of out of context myself. Um, he says more succinct, but he might mean like a succinct definition that exists at all, right, instead of just assuming That if it is not in context, if it does not meet the definition of in context, then it is out of context. Um, Or and then his final statement is: Would an issue like this be challengeable, or is it too semantic?
0: Yes, and of course, the last question there is the key question with lots and lots of intellectual forks that we could travel down uh, very interesting question so i I love the thought process and and the uh the detail that Luke has put into his statements and his questions uh this is just really intelligent stuff. So I'll tell you where I come from, and of course, this is all i don't know this is very extra rule bookificated. If that makes sense, uh, it's this is sort of how I approach it, but I couldn't go to the rulebook and say, aha, see, this is what it says in the rulebook because the rulebook doesn't exactly say this. Uh, but generally speaking when quizzers, so in a normal situation, let's, let's say you're talking about an interrogative, uh, it's a fairly straightforward answer, not terribly confusing, but the, and the quizzer jumps on recognition. It's at the district level and in a prelim quiz and they come up and they're like, you know, I, I was thinking I had the idea to this. It seemed I I had that recognition thing, but I'm not really sure now okay, I'll just take a guess. And they actually say that they're clearly not answering. Right. And even though within that little preamble of them, just talking out loud, they might say two or three, you know, on complete accident, let's say they say, you know, two or three, uh, words that places them, you know, key into a particular portion of the material, which is highly unlikely, but let's say they did. Uh, I mean, if if the quizmaster can obvi- and the answer judge too can obviously look at that and go they're not quoting they're not answering they're just saying something out loud they're kind of m- not mumbling because mumbling is something totally different but they're just saying words that are not really their answer then i i i have a i wouldn't even call it grace i just sort of ignore it right you know sort of thing um if a quizzer But how do I square that then with the idea that says, well, uh, a quizzer uh, cannot be uh, counted out of context with a single word, which would indicate that at some amount of two or more words, we don't have a clear definition of what that is, which is something I don't like and we can come back to. Um, but somewhere in there around two or more words, you know, they have a risk of being out of context. What does that mean? Right. So if somebody jumps and starts quoting the princess bride, this is a stupid example, but just as a, as an edge case for, you know, illustrative purposes, if a quizzer jumps and starts quoting the princess bride for, you know, 10 or 15 seconds and then stops and quotes word perfect, the verse that they're actually jumping on, that's weird it would never happen in reality, but I have to sort of lean toward counting them correct because while they're clearly out of context because they're not in the Bible, right? They're they're off in, you know, a, a Rob Reiner film. Uh, they are, they're not out of context. They're, they're not placing themselves in a context within the material year. And so as a result, you know, if somebody, if we're in, say, Hebrews and Peter and somebody ends up quoting Acts, uh, I don't count them out of context as a result of that. And I can, I can absolutely see and I can totally respect the argument against that because they say, well, wait a minute. Acts is very, very much out of context of five verses from you know, uh, 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 Hebrews and Peter. And I get that. I get that. But the, the reason I, I end up deciding this way is because it's fairly easy for a quizmaster who has been well-prepared, who has well-prepared him or herself for the, uh, the experience, the quiz master who is prepared has a, a, a familiarity with the current year's material and potentially has some or all of it memorized and has, if they're using CBQZ or some other reference tool, they have the, the ability to look up uh, information, have, have the ability to look up words and phrases within a search tool or a concordance or something. Uh, and be, uh, for the current material. So if somebody is out of context, you can determine that in a relatively straightforward and fair. And because it's fair, it's the same, right? Or actually, it's the other way around. It's the same from quizzer to quizzer, quiz to quiz. Therefore, it's fair for everybody. And that is, is fine with me. Um, and good, you know, from my perspective. But if a quiz master is, let's say, unfamiliar with the AX material, they may not, ne- which they, are not required to be familiar with for the upcoming quiz or the quiz that they're currently in, then, and let's say there's, you know, Quizmaster 1 who's unfamiliar with Axe, but fully qualified to Quizmaster the current quiz, and then another Quizmaster who is familiar with Axe, then you have a disparity between those two Quizmasters. One quizzer might be called out of context uh, because they're in Axe, another quizzer might be might, might just be called correct because they started in Acts and then flipped over to, let's say, Hebrews or something along those lines. Now, these are sort of weird edge case kind of situations, but that's kind of where I come down on this stuff. But anyway, Scott, what do you think?
1: Um, I think I...
0: Uh, okay.
1: So um, I will preface this by saying that there are many times where a quizzer is speaking extemporaneously, just kind of as you said, saying, hmm, should I say this or this or this? Just kind of like preparing themselves, um, or clearly not saying anything from the Bible. And I I have given quizzers passes. Like I just kind of stay silent when it's obvious they're not they're not trying to game anything, right? But I'm still exercising my own subjective judgment, which is probably not great. So I will preface it with that. But I think if you read the rule book, it's pretty clear. It says all material given must by a quizzer, must be from the context of the question. Context shall be limited to five verses before or after the verse. It doesn't say you have to know the specific, like, wrong context that the quizzer is from. It doesn't have to say, like, um, anything not in this year's material is not even grounds for being out of context. Like, it doesn't say anything. It just says they have to be in context. Um, and any ma- And by extension, any material out of context means you're out of context. So I don't really care if I can know for sure that it's in Acts versus John versus Habakkuk versus the princess bride versus just talking. Like if you're giving me information that's not in context, you're out of, you're incorrect because you are out of context. And I don't know any other way to apply that. And kind of going along with that is like when I said that I'm applying my subjective judgment in some times where they were just saying some stuff, I think that's also really, I shouldn't be doing that because as a quizmaster, I'm sitting there listening for anything that they say um, to count them correct, right? I want to be listening as hard as I can, even if they're talking quietly or mumbling. And to me, the flip side of that is, um, since I'm anything that you say could be grounds for me counting you correct, similarly, anything you say can be grounds for me counting you incorrect. So it's incumbent upon the quizzer to either say things at full volume that they want me to hear. Or say things so quietly that there's no way I could ever hear it if they don't want me to hear it, um, and just be very precise when they're answering. Because I totally think if a quizzer gets up there and goes, "Boy, I studied this last night, but I really can't think of what the answer is now." I think I, I think I could totally call them incorrect for being out of context because they just said a bunch of stuff that's not, um, it's not material from the would context you, would of you? the question. Would
0: you, if they said that? I probably wouldn't. So that's, that's sort of ultimately my, the, the argument in favor of what I'm arguing for though. Right. Because I mean, because I, I, I mean, that's the thing I, I see where you're coming from and there's part of me that agrees with you in principle, right? Actually, there's, there's all of me, I think that agrees with you in principle. Um, and moreover from, you know, taking, taking a big step back and looking sort of missionally for, you know, what is quizzing striving to do? We're try we're, we're anything that adds to the level of professionalism that adds to the level of self-discipline of, of answer management on the, on the part of the quizzers, I think is a good thing, right? So having a higher, you know, quizzers tend to actually not just quizzers, everybody tends to rise to the level of expectations that we set for people. So if we have a very high level of professionalism in answering, uh, as it, for a quizzer, uh, in terms of, of not saying like preambles, like, like what you were talking about, uh, then I think the program benefits, right? But that's all on the sort of a principled side, right? And the practicality side, if you're if you're not going to count them incorrect for that, like where where do we start drawing the lines, and how do we how do we make that fair from quiz room to quiz room and from quizmaster to quizmaster?
1: Sure, but I think the reason that I'm f- I, I I've been fine giving them a pass is because it happens so infrequently and it's also abundantly clear that no one's trying to trick anything i think if there is if it either happened more commonly or there is any amount of like trickery then very quickly you know if i was in charge of rules or the district or whatever i would just say hey you know i would make it clear to the quizmasters how we should s- slightly alter how we rule and make it clear to the coaches how things are going to go um, but i don't i don't think there's any problem now that needs to be
0: changed, right? Yeah, I can see that argument. I can see that argument. Um, but I would
1: all—I would also get a lot more rigid um, at more important quiz meets. But like, I don't recall any kind of this speaking at, say, Great West. Like, the quizzers just don't do it,
0: <laughs> you know? Well, that's but, true. They don't. they I mean, usually at Great West or internationals, you know, quizzers just You know, answer with the right answer. So, I mean, that's that's sort of the thing. Usually, you don't get these wandering soliloquies, except when quizzers haven't been well prepared.
1: Yeah, and so I mean, I mean, that's in in a lot of senses, that's irrelevant information, right? Yeah, the rule. Yeah, our best ruling should be our best ruling. But I just, in the places where it could matter the most, this doesn't even come into play. You know, because I could see it be problematic if in one room a quizzer quotes a verse that is clearly from a different um, year's material and not related in content at all, right? So nothing could be trying to get the answer right. Um, And then is not called out of context and then somehow goes on to get the question correct. Um, And then that same thing happens in a different room and is ruled on differently. Like
0: that would be problematic for sure. But um, it's just so so rare. How do we address that though? How How do we address that? Right? Like, so let's say I'm in your room and I jump... And I start quoting something from, let's say we're, we're, we're quizzing on Matthew, right? And I for some reason, have also memorized, uh, you know, parts of Isaiah. And so I jump on something and I end up inadvertently quoting, you know, two or three verses around the verse that's actually quoted by Matthew in Matthew of Isaiah. But I'm actually quoting, you know, two or three verses around the verse in Isaiah, right? Um, So I'm, I'm very, very out of context uh, in terms of, you know, quizzing from Matthew, um, would you, number one, uh, I, I mean, you might catch it, but the next quiz master might not catch it. And if you did catch it, would you rule me, you know, out of context immediately? Uh, and how do we ensure that the other quizmaster does the same thing?
1: Well, I mean, it shouldn't necessarily need to be restated, right? No part of the rulebook should need to be restated. Um, for a meet, but it could be useful as a reminder to all officials. I would rule them out of context, and I think quizzers should be ready to challenge. I, don't, I mean, I think all the tools are in place to ensure consistency, or at least everyone had their opportunity to ensure consistency.
0: Yeah, true. I get that, but I mean, the thing is, if I'm quoting, if I'm quoting a, a verse or two around the verse in Isaiah that's quoted by Matthew in Matthew, it really, really could sound like I'm not out of context. And if you're doing, if you, if you're familiar with Matthew and you've memorized Matthew and you have a, you know, the, the reference search tool uh, in CBQZ or or some other concordance, and you're looking up all the things that I said out of Isaiah, you might never know, unless you were really familiar with Isaiah as well, you might never know that I was actually quoting other things out of Isaiah.
1: But I don't think the quizmaster needs to know where you were quoting from. They just know you weren't from this context.
0: Okay. So then the flip side, though, is if I say something that isn't in the material that is in context, but it's not wrong and it's not from anywhere, am I out of context?
1: Something can't be both not in the material but in context. Did I hear well, you No,
0: no, no, right? w- no, no. Let's say, let's say, um, you know, I'm quoting from. Ah, uh, you're asking me to uh, a, a standard interrogative from chapter Matthew chapter five verse sixteen, right? Let's just say, mm-hmm. and there's you know a five verse upper uh, above and below, right? Uh, that I have to stay within, and I start quoting within that context, or I start reciting information that's within that context, and I haven't said anything incorrect so far. And then I say some words that don't appear in any context, right? They're, they're not, it's not inc- incorrect information. And it's not information that appears anywhere in scripture, but it sounds kind of like the information that's in context. Am I out of context?
1: I mean, I think the devil's in the details, but yes, I think you're out of context. Interesting. If as a quiz master, I have deemed it to be a complete enough phrase or thought that does not exist in this context, um, I am going to call you out of context.
0: Well, doesn't the phrase out of context mean I have to actually be out of context though? It just says
1: all material given by a quizzer must be from the context of the question and then it defines yeah. context. So it doesn't say it doesn't say a quizzer has to be out of context or like in a different context. Like it doesn't have any wording of that nature. It just says they have to be in this one.
0: Which is interesting because Right. Like Luke's Luke begins with the idea of saying that the rule book doesn't really have a definition of out of context. Um, uh, and it does and, say a,
1: it does say on, a, on all question types, a quizzer cannot automatically be ruled out of context by a single word, even if it is a unique word. Rather, the quizzer must say a complete thought or phrase that conclusively puts them out of context. So you could like key in on that and say, like, that is implying that you have to know where they are.
0: Right. Which of course I don't like implying with something so important. Um, But yeah, I I, I can see that argument. Um, So how do I conclusively put them out of context if what they're saying doesn't exist anywhere at all?
1: I mean, isn't the fact that you can conclusively say they're not in context to mean that they have to be out of context?
0: I guess. I don't know. I've always thought of out of context as a... Like, you're actually at this place, not where I am, right?
1: I, I traditionally have as well. But upon rereading this is why I think it's 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 not that.
0: Yeah, and I think you're starting to sway me to that particular point of view. Um, because it's, I mean, there's a couple of things I like about it. It's a lot cleaner. It means we don't have to define what is out of context explicitly. It makes me more comfortable with the subjectivity around context, which I've I've always been a bit uncomfortable with that that you know subjectivity around. Um, the trouble that I have with it is is how to get there across multiple quiz masters in multiple rooms in multiple districts in a fair and repeatable way.
1: And again, this is weird for me to say, but like I am I am fine. I do not think it is unfair if you do not get the same outcome in different rooms. Hmm. Interesting. Because I think there are are many really tiny things that can be different, right, as far as the exact words that were said, or even if the exact words were the same, maybe um, there was a challenge or there wasn't a challenge or it was worded differently. I think all of those things are information in something like out of context versus in context, which is subjective by nature. And I wouldn't presume that every room is going to do the exact same thing. Yeah, true. And I wouldn't even presume. I wouldn't even presume that every room is going to say that the same question is like a multiple answer or not. And I don't think that's a bad thing either.
0: Well, yeah. And there's certainly going to be like massive differences between definitions of that and styles of that between districts even, um, and certainly between teams in practices too. Um, yeah, part of my OCD really, really wants there to be one, you know, standard to rule them all, you know, sort of thing. Um, but, uh, that's potentially a bridge too far. There we go. I've mixed three metaphors. <laughs> so a few more things on
1: context. Um, it is very subjective, right? So like the the caveat that was put in, a quizzer cannot automatically be ruled out of context by a single word, even if it is a unique word. So the intent of this was, um, I think the best example is in John, in the quizzing material, the contraction I'm is a unique word. It is a global unique word. Well, um, we didn't want a quizzer saying I'm when the text says I am to be grounds for counting them out of context, right? Something like that is like, clearly you can have no idea that the quizzer was actually in a different context. And similarly, if they're trying to get to the word um, joyful and they say gleeful, that happens to be a unique word from a different context. They're also like you know, not really out of context, or at least we don't want that situation to um, call them out of context. And so this was introduced when the requirement of um, every unique word in the answer must be given for the quizzer to be kind of correct. So the thought was, okay, we're for correct answers, we are heightening the importance of unique words, but we didn't want to similarly heighten them as like an auto out of context, if you say a unique word that's out of context. But because of how it's written, it now, like it was written in a much broader way uh, or a less specific way. And so it kind of ends up being applied in a broader way. And um, I think you and I have gone back and forth about if a quizzer says four words and then a fifth one that's, um, that would put them in a different context if all five were looked at together, can we consider them to be out of context, even though there's only one word different in what they said from the current context? And I think you absolutely can because it is not – they're not being ruled out of context by a single word. They're being ruled out of context by five consecutive ones. Um, but you could all—you could interpret this as like any single word, right? Which if you want to look at these two five-word phrases, only one word of which is different between them, you could make the claim that it's only a single word that is causing the quizzer to be ruled out of context. But, you know, so there, there's another kind of problem when you try to define – context and how we want to apply out of context.
0: Right. Indeed. Well, and then going to Luke's, you know, big question, you know, that I was highlighting, uh, right after you introduced this, would an issue like this be challengeable or is it too semantic? Um, I don't know. It sort of depends on the quiz master, right?
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's absolutely challengeable, but it's always easier for the quiz master. If it's clear, the quizzer just like wants the right ruling and is not just trying to get something in essence for free, you know, sure. but I mean, if, if an opponent quizzer like said something from obviously not this context, but also not in a different context of this material and then was not ruled out of context and then goes on to get it right. I totally think that's grounds for challenging,
0: you know, do you think you'd be able to persuade a quiz master of that without being able to cite the location of the material that was quoted?
1: Oh yeah. And I would probably, um, I don't know how to phrase this.
0: Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, how exactly—well, w- not exactly—but how would you theoretically phrase the idea of, of I, you know, he was out of context because he said X, and X is not in the context, even though it doesn't exist anywhere else.
1: Yeah, I would basically, I would use the rule book as my tool, right? I would say all material given by quizzer must be from the context of the question. They said this whole. Nine words, two sentences, whatever—that is clearly not from this context. It is, does not exist in you know this eleven verse, you know, up or down um, material. And because of that, you cannot say that they stayed in context. Like I would, I would make it really difficult for the quizmaster to say like, oh, like I would basically put the onus on the quizmaster to prove to themselves that the quizzer stayed in context.
0: Ooh, that's a good way to do that. I like that a lot. Cuz I don't okay. think I have to prove that they went out of context. Right, the quizmaster has to prove that they stayed in. That's yes. very interesting. I'm getting goosebumps because I want a quizzer next year to challenge. I want I want I want to be challenged on this in my room. I want I want somebody to <laughs> challenge me on this. I want to <laughs> prove that they stayed in context. That that's a brilliant way of doing it. So, to bring
1: up something else that is one of my pet peeves is you'll hear coaches tell quizzers Always be quoting, don't be giving an answer. And I think that in the princi- in principle and what they are intending to teach, this is great to teach quizzers, but it becomes very problematic when officials start to use that language because it literally does not exist in the rulebook. There is no like, def- the word quoting does not exist. Um, and the only reference to like giving an answer is under, I think, correct answers where it says only the first answer of a quizzer will be considered correct. But there's there's no definition of, like, what giving an answer means. And so as I've dealt with people saying that, because um, I've heard Quizmaster's rule saying, like, oh, they were quoting, ergo, you, you know, and then they make a ruling. Well, that doesn't exist. So I think anything that a quizzer is saying on the stage in their 30 seconds, I can use to count them correct. So So to me, like, everything that they're saying is an answer, right? <laughs> Unless we assume that you could be counted correct without giving an answer. Um, which is me being kind of problematic intentionally with language (laughs) to make a point. But, um, I think everything that a quiz is saying is an answer. Now, um, the reasons that coaches will teach that are very clear, right? Because if you jump on, um, who created the heavens and the earth, and if you just say a single proper name, um, proper noun, and it's not God, you're just wrong. Right. But if you're like quoting a full verse, you, you kind of start to give yourself the benefit of the doubt that maybe a quiz master won't um, count you incorrect. Now, if in the case of a proper noun, they probably still would, right? If you got up there and said, John created the heavens and the earth and, and the sea and all that is in them, and it, we're word perfect on everything except for that one word. Well, I think you're still going to be counted incorrect. But if it's like a longer um, verse and the thing that you were missing wasn't a proper noun, and but you're quoting the whole thing, I think a quizmaster is more apt to not count you incorrect for information that you gave versus if you just said one word and it was not what they were looking for, if that makes sense. So I think it's useful as a quizzer kind of as a strategic way to just be quoting full verses because then you're clearly in context and it makes it a lot harder for the quiz master to say you gave an, inc- you gave, um, an incorrect answer or gave incorrect information. But it is very problematic for a quiz master to use either quoting or giving an answer as grounds for any ruling.
0: Yeah, that's true. But then I, I – yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. But then circle back to how do – maybe you've already answered this, but how do you ensure – conformity between quizmasters which means you know reliability of rulings for the quizzer which you know when there's a disconnect between quizmasters ruling on things that's demotivational to the mission of the program and maybe you're saying well it might be slightly demotiv- demotivational but that needs to be okay yeah so when i come back
1: i think this is why i i am so upset when quizmasters aren't receptive to challenges or when coaches teach their quizzers not to challenge, because to me, that's the tool for ensuring consistency. Um, you can't write, I think it's very difficult to write a rulebook in a 100% objective way to ensure consistency by quiz masters. And even so, there are many objective parts of the rulebook that are applied incorrectly by quiz masters, right? Because you just, you know, you can't ensure that they know the full rulebook or even if they know it, care enough to do it correctly. And so, to me, that's why challenges are the tool to ensure that
0: um, well and 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 give the quizmasters the benefit of the doubt. I mean, there are quiz masters who will uh, you know, reread the rule book prior to every quiz meet and take their role as quizmaster very seriously and strive for excellence in everything that they're doing with quizzing, and yet will still make errors in ruling
1: exactly, right? which is why. You have to be receptive to a challenge and coaches have to be teaching their quizzers that like the ruling will not always be correct, even in objective cases, right? I mean, you could teach your quizzers if you want, like, oh, on an objective, on a clearly objective thing, just don't challenge if you want to teach them that. But like for something that's objective, they should be challenging all day. Because to me, if a quiz master makes an incorrect ruling and a team does not challenge, the team bears some of the responsibility for the outcome. It might be only 20% of the responsibility, but it is definitely above zero. Yeah, I agree. But over all of this, um, I think both you and I agree that things would be way simpler and almost nothing, if nothing, would be worse if context just didn't even exist. If there was no such thing as out of context. It's a dream. Make it so. I think it would be way awesome because... Most of the time when I'm calling a quizzer incorrect, it's because they gave incorrect information. Um, It definitely does happen that they go out of context and then come back in context and get it correct. But the onus is always going to be on the quizzer to not give incorrect information. But if if I ask an interrogative and it starts with four words that appear in four different places and you can quote all of them in 30 seconds, I want to count you correct. Um, And if that happens and you say a big, long chunk of a verse that is from somewhere completely different as long as you didn't give me in, incorrect information then i don't need to be hunting for where you were to see if you were out of context cuz i don't care about that
0: so exactly I, well and I, there's a, there's another there's another super importantly valid reason to do that as well there is let me make sure I'm, I could be wrong about this, but nothing pops into my mind as a thing that a quiz master needs to scramble more on than context in the moment of the question. Right. So, I mean, imagine you've got, well, okay, maybe I'll I'll take that back. Uh, Making sure you interject what is your question at the right time in a reference question is like that requires just one hundred and seven percent of your brain, right? As a quizmaster, you 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 have to get that right and accurate because a quizzer's is probably going fast because their brain is operating fast, not because they're trying to rush or anything, but but they're 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 just, they're just thinking and recalling very quickly, and they're expecting you to get your interjection at the right time. If they're quoting correctly, you know, in reverse order and so forth. So like you know, as a quizmaster, you're you're constantly making these. Like, when do I call for their question at the right time to ensure that i that I, the quiz master, don't do something that screws up that quizzer's opportunity to get this question correct um and then they say something that's like, "Well, was that in context or not?" and now suddenly, as a quiz master, you've got two threads of thought that have to be resolved with a high level of attention, very rapidly in that moment, right? You you have to say like, where are they right now? And where are they going to be? So I can call for their question at the right time. And did they just go out of context? And I have to search for that simultaneously to listen, <laughs> listening for when I'm going to call on thread one. That's hard um, to get right. Um, and it's not impossible to get right, but it's hard to get right. And so if you do away with context, you don't have to worry about that at all.
1: Yep. And am I hypocritical, though, for wanting context to remain on quotes, finish questions and CBRs? Well... And CRs, actually.
0: Okay. So I'm of two minds on this one. Um, Sort of. I, I actually... Maybe you're hypocritical, but if you are, then I'm double hypocritical. And I'll tell you why. I want context to apply at the beginning of the verse, but not at the end, if that makes any sense. So if I say quote Matthew chapter five, verse sixteen, and you start quoting in verse fifteen, I think you you should be counted incorrect. Because part of the quote, part of the reference and memorizing references and connecting to, connecting them to the material on a verse by verse uh, basis is the idea of me being able to say verse 16 and you starting in that verse correctly, right? Um, or at least starting within verse 16. And maybe you have to backtrack a little bit to get to the beginning. That's cool. Um, But the idea that you're you're starting in 16, you're not starting in 15. But let's say you quote 16 and you get to the end of 16 and you've quoted it word perfect from the beginning to the end. And then you say the next word from verse 17. I think you're correct before you're incorrect. Sure.
1: Um, I also use um, a sliding scale of out of context, depending on precision. And I'm curious what you think of this. So for example... If there's a chapter verse reference, what man, from verse 1, and the answer is large, and the phrase big man appears in verse 2, if I hear you say big man, I'm going to call you out of context. Um, Because to me, that's the point of chapter verse references. We're testing um, knowledge between verses. Even though if you were answering this as an interrogative question, I would never call you out of context for something that small. But to me, the the importance is much larger when it's a CBR.
0: So you, uh, what were the two references that, what were the two verses that you're referencing? Verse one just, and verse six, or verse, verse one, and, one two, and verse two? Verse one and verse two for a chapter See, verse I, reference question. Then, okay. So if it's for a chapter verse reference question, then I, yeah, I think you're out of context. If it's a an interrogative, then no, you're not.
1: But you would call them out of context on a chapter verse reference for saying big man when they needed large man, because big man is in the, the next verse you think that, that, that no would be I enough. actually,
0: you know what I don't think I don't think legally I can because it's not, it's just a single word,
1: oh, but what if what if it was um the large man and a big man, and they said, a big, so now you're away from the single word,
0: yeah, then I think ridiculousness. Then I think I, yeah, then I think I think but, but context changes right in the case of a chapter verse reference, the context is the verse,
1: yeah, but I think someone could argue that like how can you say that they were in a different verse with, with such a small like change in words and zero change in meaning
0: yeah but the thing is if it's a if it's a two or three keyword phrase i mean that that's that squarely puts them in a different location and that also squares against the the rule book yeah i mean if it's a single word i don't think you can do that but if it's you know two or more words that's a that's a key phrase that puts them outside then i think it puts them outside
1: well, I will. St- I would still call them even if it was one word. I would call them out of context because I am looking at two words together um, and not one word uh, by itself. But um, even after that, it, to me, it doesn't matter if it's unique or not. Like if large man is in or the large man in verse one and a big man in verse two, I don't care if a big man occurs a hundred other times in the material.
0: No, true, true, true. I'm, I'm, I don't know that I could go down to a single word and say that because of the second word that is there, even though they've only changed one word, that they're out of context. I just don't, I don't think I can do that. Um, I think I would need at least two words that places them somewhere outside of the current context.
1: Sure. So, I mean, but in the case of large man, big man, because of the one word thing, theoretically a quizzer can be able to guess both because you would have to prompt them for their question if they fulfilled it. But you couldn't call them wrong if they said the other one.
0: Mm, gosh, that's true. Right, and they yeah, could totally uh, they could totally game it. And there are tons of yeah. what man, what word, what city, what time that are really really close. This is why we need to get rid of context, right? I like. Does it Ex- really add something? Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
1: and I think you could also lean on incorrect. Like you could say that big man is not just incorrect. It might be a little bit stretch of, of that part of the rule book, but I think you could because it's like, it's not what I'm, it's not what I'm asking on this reference question.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I Because I, I, reference I, questions, I get... reference questions,
1: like more so than anything else are testing verbatim words and not um, a full meaning, right? Yeah.
0: Um, the more, the more, the more I talk about this though, the more uncomfortable I get about this whole idea because it's just sort of the, now granted, does this happen most of the time, especially at the district level? No, right. This is a, we're, we're talking about edge cases of edge cases here. Uh, and so, you know, in that regard, I'm more comfortable with the status quo because it doesn't really come up for most of the, most of the time, but it it are it it's things like this where like it it seems to me it would be highly demotivational to a quizzer to have one ruling in one room and a different ruling in another room and so I'm always striving for you know similar rulings ergo making things fair um, and impartial between you know quiz uh, quizmasters and rooms and and teams and quizzers and so forth and this stuff just kind of gets under my skin as like I don't know that there's a way to make it fair and objective without just burning the context rule entirely.
1: Yeah, so here's another random scenario. Um, This was a time that I protested internationals. It was a finish the verse question um, and a quizzer said it was like about eight words in a row from a different verse in the same chapter, but it was a finish the verse. So um, it matters if they were not in the correct verse, right? But between that, like, it was about eight words in a row. So like perfect in a row from a different verse. But between that eight word phrase and a good chunk of the correct verse, there was at least maybe a 50% overlap of the words just in a slightly different like order or maybe some slightly different articles, like some small words like the, the uh, sure. where, where anyone who has ever studied for key verses knew that the quizzer misqu- like, was in the different verse. But like, I guess the burden is still like, did they meet the requirements of being out of context, you know? And I mean, of course, because I was the one protesting, I think that the arguments on the other side were basically like, we feel bad changing this to incorrect on something seemingly small. And I was like, we're doing finish the verse questions, the internationals. And they quoted eight words in a row from the wrong verse. Like, why are we even talking about it?
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of me. I mean, obviously I'm not there and I'm only hearing your side of it, but it seems to me a, sort of a black and white open and shut. Kind of like yeah, Scott's right on this one. Like you can't quote. I mean, when we're when we're arguing about the you know big man versus large man, we're talking about like one word, you know, that kind of stuff. And then like you're saying, but really, I can see it as two words. And sure, right? We're not talking about eight words. I mean, if you're talking about eight words, it's I I I mean, that's just so far into the into the other like wrong side of of the right wrong divide. I I don't even understand how you could call it correct.
1: I mean, I think the, the, the complicating things were people felt bad to switch the ruling. But then the second one was, I mean, it, the two phrases were like the strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second one was um, a strength and also power of our Lord Jesus. Or like it was a, like a large amount of overlap. But the fact that the quizzer quoted like this word perfect sequence from a different verse to me was conclusive enough even though like the meaning was the same and the overlap was large.
0: Well, so to quote a famous movie and an axiom of Bible quizzing, there are no feelings in Bible quizzing, or at least there are no feelings that should be uh, called into play when it comes to (laughs) rendering decisions in Bible quizzing. I wish that was
1: the case, but there were clearly feelings
0: involved. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. I think we've, we've beaten, beaten this one. So to a pulp. But we would love your feedback on any and all of that because there's lots of fun ideas, subjective things, and probably controversial ideas in there. But moving on, I've got two – let's see here. Let's let's deal with the, the quick one first. So on quotes and CVRs, obviously the quiz master is reading the reference. And at um, a lot of quiz meets, that is all that the quiz master will be reading before a quizzer jumps is the reference. And I have seen – Quite commonly, quizmasters will read, like, quote, Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, and a quizzer will jump, and the quizzer will say, think about it and say 25, and then a quizmaster will just sit there silently. And then once the quizzer starts quoting the material, um, like maybe 12 seconds later or four seconds later, whatever, then the quizmaster will go, I'm sorry, I was looking for verse 23. Um, What do you think about that sort of practice by the quizmaster?
0: Okay, so I have fairly strong opinions about this, and I think that's not good. So the way – okay, and this this may be because of my bias and my history, but the way I've always done it, if, if the verse is 23 and they say 25 – I just you're you're immediately wrong there's no reason to wait right um but at internationals this last year the policy came down which all as far as I know all quizmasters dutifully followed which was to do it the other way if they say uh if they if the verse is 25 and they say 23 you say nothing until they begin quoting uh and the moment they start a syllable of the quoting you count them incorrect I always felt weird when I did that because I'm, I always feel like I'm kind of egging them on in a sense. And I, I never fully understood the reasons why we were implementing that kind of a rule. Because to me, it's like if, if a quizzer says 20th and they're, they're not really sure if it's, you know, three or two and they've that, well, I guess the TH sound is there, but I mean, like if, if they begin to recite a number but they haven't completed the number and they they go 22 or something right where they're starting to say 23 but then they switch it to a two i would kind of be okay with that but if they complete you know 22 or 23 and they're done saying that and I'm in 25 like they've provided an incorrect answer at that point. I mean, I don't I don't understand the rationale for not counting them incorrect there. It almost seemed cruel in a sense. You know, at, at internationals where, you know, I had quizzers who were everywhere from pretty good to extremely good jump just a half syllable, not even a half syllable, a micro syllable too early. And they would guess an incorrect verse. And I always felt kind of, I don't know, mean of of like, it's almost like Lucy in the football with Charlie Brown. Like, I'm waiting for Charlie Brown to run up to the football and then yanking away at the last minute. It just seemed mean versus just being clear and saying, yeah, you got it wrong when you said 22. I mean, there's there's I don't know. And, and then, this, you know, to t- not that anybody at internationals ever did this nor would any, you know, honorable and ethical quizzer ever do this. But theoretically, you could say, okay, 5, 22, 23, 24, 25, 22, 21, 23. Oh, wait, 23. I said 23. And Scott's expression changed slightly. It's probably 23, right? Now, that's really hokey. But that could be a consequence of this scenario, right? It could be. So is the implication that
1: if a quizzer says the incorrect verse number, but then starts quoting the correct verse text, that they still have a chance to get it correct?
0: No, I I don't think they can at that point. So so if they say the wrong verse number,
1: then regardless of the verse that they start quoting, they will be called incorrect?
0: So then why are we even waiting? Well, so here's the thing. Um, I don't have the rule book in front of me. I'd have to reread it to be sure. I don't think there's anything in the rule book that necessarily says that they are wrong when they say the wrong reference before they start quoting. But my thought would be if it's a quote question, 522, or let's say it's 523, or I'll stick with the same example. Sorry. It's 525, and you jump and you say 522, and then you quote 525. I can't count you correct yet. I have to say like, again, more. What do I say? I can't say more because let's say I, let, actually, let's do it the other way around. Let's say I said 25, well, no, that complicates the, the thing even more. So let's say, yeah, I, I, I 20, it, it is 25. I say 20, you jump, you say 22, you quote 25 I then basically have to say more and again and kind of to get you to change 22 to 25. That just seems hokey.
1: Yeah, because to me, it's, at at some point, we have to force the quizzer to pair the correct verse number with the correct verse text. And I don't see why we would ever accept either pieces of those to be incorrect and let them continue well, answering.
0: Well, and then let's take it a, a different way around. Let's say I was, I said, quote, you know, Matthew chapter five, verse 24. Well, it was going to be 25, but let's say I, I I stop on 20, you jump, you don't say the reference, and you quote 25 word perfect. I then say more at the end, and you say 22. I have to count you wrong. Exactly. Yes. So the fact that you said 22 at the beginning is equally wrong <laughs> as saying, I mean, if you say 22 at the end... I'm not going to say again, and you'll be like, okay, 23, 24, 25. Okay, yes, you're correct, right? Because I said again a bunch of times, and you had you know time remaining on your 30 seconds, right? You're still wrong. So like, if you say 22 at the beginning, I think you're as equally wrong as if you said it at the end.
1: I completely agree. Now, when I quizzed, it occasionally happened that a quizzer would jump on verse 20 and would say 20. 20- and then kind of pause, and then the quiz master might say, I'm sorry, I was looking for verse 27. And then the quizzer would challenge say, and with, and say, I had not yet finished saying the verse number that I was, like, guessing. And to me, that's also really simple to, you know, like, deal with as a quiz master. Because you're not going to let quizzers game the system by, like, trying out their 20... And, like, I mean, there's nothing... There's nothing in the rule book about a quizzer making it abundantly clear that this is the first number that they're guessing. Like, they're just saying stuff. And if they say 20 with any kind of a pause, then everyone should assume that they're guessing 20,
0: you know? And well, I would take that one. I I'd take a slightly different view on that one. If some, if it was 25 and you said 20 and paused and didn't say a word, I would probably not say a word either um, and remain expressionless until you either started quoting or said 25 or 22, right? And then I'll, you know, either let you quote 25 if you said 25 or count you incorrect. But like, I don't think there's any harm in letting somebody say 20 and pause, and then come back and say five, right? Sure, um, sure. Now, I mean, if, if somebody is clearly obviously trying to game me or something over it, you know, I, I'm going to give them a look of, 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 you know, snake eyes or whatever it is, the the bad look, I don't know, whatever it's called. And then, you know, <laughs> Stay you know, that kind of- Stink-Eye, that's the thats the thing. Not snake-eyes, the stink-eye. Um, sure. Uh, I mean, we don't want gaming within the system. But if if a quizzer just says 20 is clearly thinking, right? I Even if they're not clearly thinking, I, I don't think there's any harm in, in pausing. But if they say 22 and it's 25, like, there's no reason to just not call them, you know, incorrect right then. Exactly.
1: And this is why I think that a lot of Quizmaster prompts should go away, because I don't think that they should be information- to the quizzer. Like the quizzer gets information from the quiz master in an extremely limited number of ways, right? There's the, what is your question quote is complete. Um, right. Those are the right. two like time and the timing of it matters. Right. And that's about it. Um, whereas we, we did away with the quiz master saying again, at the point of error, um, in like a finish the verse, like it's always at the end of the verse now. Um, right. but to me, there's just so much, possibility for inconsistency, um, by the quiz master and it shouldn't be information to the quizzer, right? Like if you hear more, like sometimes quizzers are like, Ooh, I'm not wrong. Well, it's like, you already know that you're not wrong. Cause I haven't told you that you're wrong, you know? And you also know that right. you're not right. Cause I haven't said that. So like, just keep giving more information and everything is the same. Like don't go out of context and don't give incorrect information and you will know if you do those things <laughs> like, and so to me again, and more provide nothing. And similarly, that's why I don't like – if a quizzer has said all of the verse on a quote but not the reference, like I don't think a quiz master should say more because, I don't – there's just so many possibilities for it to either be misleading information or a way a quizzer could kind of game the quiz master by trying to see if this incantation will get them to say more, you know? So Yeah, totally things. agreed.
0: Totally agreed. Yeah, I mean – it's It's one of the things we don't want gaming to take place, but at the same time i don't I don't like you know <laughs> pulling the football away from Charlie Brown all right well, on that uh, Charlie Brown bombshell, we should uh close this uh particular episode and more will be coming in future episodes, and I wanted to make sure that everybody knows that if you have any disagreement at all with anything that we have said, uh, even stuff that we've said and then changed our minds on, because Scott is very convincing in some of the things he says, uh, I'd still like to hear from you. We'd still like to hear from you. So please email us at IQ at CBQZ.org. We love hearing from listeners. And if you have a listener question about anything quizzing related or Bible related or anything along those lines, we'd very much like to hear from you. So please email us. And you can also follow us on Twitter Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And if you happen to be on the Bible Quizzing Slack uh, forum, you can chat with us about anything Inside Quizzing related inside the Inside Quizzing channel. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thank you, everybody.